Well, I have been thinking a lot about change recently. Maybe it's just a time of year. I love fall. I don't like what comes afterwards, but I love fall. And then the changing of the leaves, the falling of the leaves. I went to Erie for a couple days, and I feel like all my leaves fell in the three days I was gone. And they were all just whoosh right then. So maybe it's the change of weather that's throwing me off and making me think about this. I don't know about anybody else, but the time change really throws me off. Like I'm still getting up an hour earlier than I should be because I just can't seem to adjust. I think part of it for me is I'm just realizing that I'm, I'm getting a little bit older. Right? On Monday, I promise you this, my back started to get really sore because I sat in the same chair for too long. When did that happen? I got sore sitting in a chair. You know, this, I love the commercials about the, when people are becoming their parents, you know, because they now have homeowner's insurance. But they're, they're starting to get offensive for me. Like, it's starting to offend me in some ways. I'm a parent of teenagers right now. I did not understand teenagers when I was one. The girls' ones even worse, you know. I st- like, it's worse now. I really don't understand. T- I, have a, I have a son who is actually studying for his driver's permit test. I thought you had to be middle-aged to have a son who could drive. I don't know how I slipped in under the radar like this. Hair will no longer grow on my head, but seems to flourish in my ears. When did that happen? I remember my grandfather, my dad's dad, um, had so much hair in his ears. It always looked like he was smuggling caterpillars wherever he went. I never understood how he could, how he could hear. And I always thought as a kid, like, how can a person have so much hair in their ears? And now if it weren't for trimmers. Right? If it weren't for trimmers, there I would go also. Some changes I have no say in. Others I try to make. I'm trying to make some changes to, to get in better shape and to eat well. But then those aren't, don't seem to be any easier to deal with for me. Right? Like I try to get my diet right. And then I get a couple really stressful weeks with Halloween and a sermon with Reese's peanut butter cups in the middle of it. And the diet is whoop, out the window. Why is change so hard to deal with? As, a, as your pastor, I'm aware of so many people going through changes right now. People losing jobs, leaving jobs, getting jobs. Some are having health concerns and learning that they can't do the things they used to be able to do. Some people are moving into nursing homes. Others are trying to work every day to make sure they don't have to make that move. Some people want to get married. Some people want to stop being married. And, and around here, we're going to do some baptisms and we're also going to do some funerals. Change keeps coming. And the world has changed too, right? I mean, it, it's not just cold outside, um, but, but there's, there's actually some changes going on in our world. How many of you remember when you could confidently plan a vacation for next summer? Now you're booking stuff and you're like, eh, I don't know, maybe. How many of you remember when you just got a cold and you just went on with your life? Now if somebody coughs near you in the grocery store, it's like Defcon 4. What? Get away from that person. Remember when you could shake somebody's hand? You would just shake their hand or give them a hug? It was no big deal. Now there's like this twinge of like, should I be doing this in the back of my head? 
In fact, the world's changed so much. I, I, I think we're at a point where we almost have change fatigue. Like everybody's just tired of all the change. Like there's been so much. And we kind of got stuck with it. We went with it for a while. And now I'm just kind of, I'm done with it. Okay, anybody feeling that? All right, take one minute. And with a person next to you, a neighbor next to you, talk about what kind of changes you are facing, seeing, or feeling right now. Go. Yeah, find somebody next to you. If they're by themselves, what changes are you seeing? Take 10 more seconds. I needed to queue up the Jeopardy theme. There we go. Change is all around us, isn't it? And we know it's inevitable. Some of it's even good. And yet, it's hard. It's hard to deal with, it's hard to make. Some are slow and natural. Some are changes in our environment we can't control. Some are changes you have to make right now. Others are change you're trying to make, but it's hard to make. Sometimes it's us, but sometimes it's a group. Sometimes it's how we change at work. Sometimes it's at church. Sometimes it's my family, and i got to do stuff different in my family. So how do we, we, we struggle? And we, we can tell other people that it's, you know, have you ever told a friend? You know you're getting older. You know, you can't do that anymore. You know, this is a natural part of life. And yet when it's you, it's a lot harder, isn't it? So today I want to make five quick observations about how change works and then look at five scriptures and principles on dealing with change. That makes this a 10 point sermon. So we better get going. First of all, change is a grief process. I think it's just helpful to think about this. Change is hard because all change, even good change, involves losing someone. And we, we've all been through losing someone, right? Losing someone that we love. And they talk about it as stages. It's not really stages, but, you, but, but generally there's a range of emotions, right? You can go through denial and anger and depression, and then you sort of bargain, and then you accept the new reality of that person being gone. Anytime you change, it's basically a grief process. Actually, if you want to know the truth, I think it's the opposite. I think actually when you lose someone, it's a change process. That's the process you go through when things change. This is why even when it's a good change, even when you get a new job at work, there's still sometimes a grief reaction because you have to let go. You have to say goodbye to the past to say hello to the future. All change is grief. You're always leaving the familiar for something unknown. That's why when something changes, you often want to talk about it with somebody else. It's like grief. You want to share it with somebody else so that you don't bottle it up and keep it all to yourself. So it shouldn't surprise us when we go through grief and we have a lot of emotions. We go through change and we have a lot of emotions about it. Sometimes we surprise ourselves with those emotions. And so here's what we sometimes do. So observation number two. Some changes are are more about our expectations than the change itself. Okay, I've noticed this. That sometimes 
we get really upset at something changed, but it never changed. The only thing that changed was it didn't live up to our expectations. Right? We are, we, I, everybody in here, you're all going to get older than you are right now. <laughs> that should not be a surprise to anybody. And yet we sometimes in our head expect things are going to go differently. And so sometimes the hard part about change isn't the change itself. It's maybe hard on its own. But some of the change, the problem we have with change is that we have expectations that don't match up with the change. So, so then when we go through the change, we are grieving two things. We're grieving the change, and then the change didn't go the way we wanted it to. Sometimes we make it worse. My hair isn't going to grow more in the future. I might as well know that, right? Governments, churches, communities, families, all are going to have to change because the world is changing. And that's hard enough without us putting up barriers about expecting certain things to change or not change, or how they're going to change. That, that just makes it harder to deal with. Number three, to deal with change, we often try to control other parts of our lives. Have you ever noticed this? So sometimes when somebody's having a really wild and out of control time at work, they try to lock stuff down at home. Yeah, they try to control something that, 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 that's not the thing that's actually bothering them. Or if ha- the house is really crazy, they try to really lock things down at work. And so we, we tend to what we call transfer. We tend to, to react in some changes by trying to control other changes. Right? So, so people can go through, they, I'm, I'm getting older and the company I work through foreclosed and my kids and my grandkids have moved away. But what's the one thing that has changed, hasn't changed? My house. I can keep my house exactly the way I had it when my kids were young. So we, so we hang on to certain things to make sure they don't change as a way of dealing with all these other things that do change. Point number four, sometimes we, we do this with other people. We actually try to control other people or we take, and take our grief out on somebody else. It's kind of a different kind of transference to target our grief. A lot of times we try to blame somebody. It's so-and-so's fault. I don't have to go through all the other stages of grief. I'll just stick with anger. It's that person's fault. The CEO closed the company. Okay, the human resources guy fired me. It's his fault. It's whoever, you know, it's this family member did this bad thing. And you know what? In, in hindsight, most situations are never just one person's fault. And sometimes the, the person that's the CEO that laid a bunch of people off was just dealing with an inevitable reality. But sometimes if we, aim our, if we aim our grief, we can kind of sidestep the loss process. Let's see, we're, we're, that's what we're trying to do. We're always trying to avoid the grief that comes with change. And so whether it's anger, whether it's blame somebody else, whether it's control something else, it, there's always these ways that we are sidestepping the grief of change. And then here's what I've noticed. Point number five. Sometimes the way that we cope with change changes. And then what happens is people have a strong emotional reaction because they're actually grieving all the other things. I've seen this with plenty of people that have to move out of their house and move into a smaller house or move into a, to a, a nursing home. There's a real grief. And it's more than just having to move. Sometimes it's the fact that there were all these other changes in my life and how did I deal with it? Well, at least my house didn't change. But now I'm losing that. And then all of a sudden, all these other emotions pile into this change because we're changing the things I use to cope with all of those other things. I've seen this when people lose somebody who was a strength for them, a spouse, a mom, a friend. 
They lose that person who was their strength, and then what happens? They grieve not just losing that person, but it's almost like they, they have the, the extra weight of all those other changes that that person helped them through that they also have to grieve. It compounds. See, we see this in church sometimes. I had several friends who have made major changes in their church and gotten really furious people. The famous example, and it's happened to about three of my friends, was changing the carpeting in the sanctuary. They changed the carpeting in the sanctuary and people go ballistic. You would think they'd sacrifice the goats in there or something. But all they do is change the carpet. And, um, And my friends are like, who cares about carpet this much? Carpet salesmen don't care about carpet this much. Okay? But, it, but it's the same thing. What, what's one of the things in your life that has changed the least in your lifetime? Probably the church. Probably the church. We, we sing some of these new confounded sounds, songs, but you know, you still you're going to get some classic songs. You're going to get a general liturgy. The sanctuary is going to generally look the same. And see, so one of the ways people have done is they've, they've, they've used the church as a coping mechanism. And then when you go to change something in the church, like, oh my goodness, we lose it. And I've had to coach a couple of my friends to say, hey, you need to pastor your people through their grief. Because it's not about carpet. It's about all this other grief. So this is, this is where I think we come to when we start talking about change, is how do we deal with the emotions of them? And sidestepping the emotions to blame it on something else or deal with it in some other way is not how we deal with them. That's how we avoid so here's, here's a main, if you hear nothing in this sermon, hear this. Don't be surprised by grief and resistance in yourself and in other people to change. It is totally natural. Okay? Totally natural. Everybody goes through it. We don't like change. Even good change we have resistance to. And so when you make a change in yourself, not everybody's going to like it. You may not like it. Okay? When we change something at, at work, not everybody's going to like it. It's a natural process. In fact, I say around here at Northminster, if, every, if everybody likes everything that we do, then we're not doing enough. Right? It's partially my job as your pastor to keep everybody in here a little unhappy. Okay? Because otherwise, we're just keeping everything the same, and the same won't get us into the future. So, so I mean, this is all, I think, knowledge. I think it's insightful. It, it's a little bit of a self-help sermon so far. But I think there are some deep biblical principles behind what I'm trying to get at. And, and I think it's hugely important as a faith community that we understand change and how change works. So let's look at five scriptures now. They're listed in your bulletin so you can look them up later. Five principles, five scriptures. Principle number one, change is part of how God shapes us. Listen to listen from Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So here's what Paul's saying. When you suffer, when you go through a lot of stuff, that is a chisel and a hammer in the hand of God. God does not waste your change. He does not waste your suffering. Okay? He's going to build you as you go through those changes. I don't know if it always justifies all the emotion. I don't know if I would pick it that way. 
But I think there is some hope in understanding that God uses those times of change. Those are the opportunities that God has to reshape us. And it may be uncomfortable for us, but there is good news that God will not waste it. It will not, we won't go through it for nothing. He'll use them to make us into something new. Number two, God doesn't change, nor is he surprised by change. Here's how Hebrews 13 puts it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. So here's the good news. You may have to go through changes, but God doesn't change. He is steady. And he stands outside of time, which means he is not surprised by your changes. He knows what is coming. As we're about to sing in in a hymn, thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Right? That God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But that does not mean that God is stagnant. Principle number three out of Lamentations. God's mercies and love change to meet us. Here's what Lamentations says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's always. His mercies never come to an end. That's always. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. They're new every morning. God, God's never, never ceases, but every morning it's new, it's fresh, it's different. It's still God's love. It hasn't changed, but it comes in fresh ways to you. That means God's love is both timeless and timely. It's timeless, it's forever. But it's also timely, which means when you're going through changes right now, God is giving special expressions of his love to you for now, for today. Timeless and timely. Principle number four. Hold on to what is good. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything hold, and hold fast to what is good. So Paul's at the end of the letter. And he's trying to say to this Thessalonian church, he's trying to encourage them. And he's trying to say, listen to God. God's going to show up in your prayers and in your worship. And the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. And people are going to prophesy. And don't despise that. You need to test it to make sure that it comes from God. But then when you get what is good, hold on to it. And I think actually the opposite is also true. I think Paul is implying the opposite. That when, when it's not good, let it go. Loosen your hand. If you want to be, able to be good at dealing with change, this is one of the most important principles. Learning what to hold on to and what to let go. Learning what's most important to keep and what you got to let go of. Okay? As I get older, I, my hair I can't hold on to. Okay, it's going whether I want it to or not. But, but my, my relationships with my kids, I've got to hold on to those. Now the methods change, right? The methods and the modes. I mean, when my kids were little, I gave them a bottle and I changed their diaper. And they're 16 now. It doesn't work. The modes, the methods, I've got to hold it over me. I can't parent my kid like they're five anymore. But, but what are the important things? That I love them. That I'm raising them up in the faith. Those are the most important things. So here's the problem. Most people have trouble putting the right stuff in the right hands. Most people, when they go through change, they try to hang on to everything. 
Or, or they, they re- don't realize some of the stuff. Like, like here at the church, some of the modes and methods, some of the models of ministry that we've used in the past, those have got to be open-hand things. Can't do it the same. What got us here will not get us there. Okay? At the same time, what are the most important things? Okay? So, we, are we play, we're playing some praise music. We've got some newer music. And you know what we're going to sing next? Great is thy faithfulness, because I'm not letting go of some of these great hymns. Okay? I want Jesus to be glorified in this place. That's what's most important. Exactly how we sit and how we dress and, you know, which, which we're going to, a couple weeks we're going to worship in the, in, the, in the basement, in the social hall. Okay? Where we are, how we sit, we can sit in our cars, we can do a lot of stuff. Is Christ being glorified? See, this is the thing. When most people go to change, they, they haven't sorted out what goes in what hand, and then they're upset. But if I know what's most important, I can let go of what's else. If I know what's good, I can hold loosely to what is not good. So you've got to figure out in your changes what's the most important thing and what's the thing that I can let go. And sometimes we struggle because we're holding on to the wrong things. Or hold on to everything. We're just clinging for dear life to everything about now. Everything about the way it used to be. Well, some of that needs to come forward and some of that needs to be let go. Principle number five is to keep perspective. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Okay, Paul knew he was getting older too. <laughs> My inside's getting renewed day by day. The outside um, not so, is receding, let's just say. From this light momentary affliction, though, for this light momentary uh, affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I love Paul's phrase, light and momentary affliction. Doesn't always feel like that, does it? And doesn't always, didn't feel like that for Paul always either. But what Paul could cling to is this hope that someday there's going to be this really big change. Okay? Where the world is going to be how it should be. And Jesus is going to be ruling. It's going to be the change to end all change. Where Jesus will rule without resistance. And so I know many of us are tired of change. Maybe even overwhelmed by it. I think our world is really struggling to find our footing right now. I think in some ways the world needs the steadiness that Christians can offer in how we deal with change. But in some ways, as Christians, we seem to be struggling just as much as the world. And so where is our hope? Where is God giving us hope for these changes? So may we deal with change well. May we make the changes we need to make. May we change our families, our churches, our communities, and our country for the better. That the most important thing would be true. That Christ would be glorified in all. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.